Hello, I'm Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and today I'm in the studio with Omar Negyal, Manager of JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust, to talk through the rollercoaster ride emerging markets have experienced this year. So they've gone from dizzying rally at the start of 2016 to a dramatic fall from grace in the wake of Donald Trump's election in the US. So we're going to talk through why that is and we're going to talk about how Omar's fund has fared as a result. So Omar, let's talk about where we were um, with emerging markets before Trump's election um, because emerging markets were kind of performing among the best um, globally at the start of the year. Why were we seeing those returns? Where were the best and why? Well, I think the um, what I would characterise as the first leg of the emerging markets recovery, which was happening uh, throughout this year, that that was really driven by a combination of valuation and currency moves through throughout the entire asset class. And really, at the end of last year, because sentiments towards emerging markets had become just so negative um, from both a market viewpoint and particularly a currency viewpoint, we saw some multi-year lows in terms of those valuation levels. And that really set the base for this recovery in sentiment that has happened in emerging markets um, so far this year. Um, I think what the markets have been trying to anticipate is what I would call the second leg of the recovery, which which we haven't entered yet, um, which is which is going to be driven by earnings. So, so the markets have started to think about the prospects for earnings growth returning to emerging markets, which will be a, a very positive driver. And I mean, to, to what extent do you think um, this kind of rally was really a hunt for yield and was just kind of in relation to rates and yields being so low everywhere else? How, how important was that to what we saw with emerging markets? Um, well, I think, I, again, I come back to it, it's more to me, uh, the recent move has been around valuations. Um, just the fact that valuations, if, if we think about it from a price-to-book basis for emerging markets, really got down to those kinds of levels which we've seen in the past as good indicators of, of a market bottom being reached and, and the markets bounced off that. Okay, and, and where were the best performing markets that, that we saw? Well, there's been a very wide range of, of returns th- throughout the markets. Um, we can think about Brazil at the top end, so returning a very, very um, high double-digit return, um, at one point getting up to close to 80% in terms of returns for this year. And that comes all the way back down to, to markets which have lagged a bit, but, but still showing positive returns, such as, such as Poland. Okay, and so then we had um, the 8th of November, the elections, very dramatic day, obviously, and a dramatic reaction from emerging markets too. What, ha- what happened since the election and why? I think the key thing has just been a spike in terms of uncertainty. So as I I was saying before, I think emerging markets had been on an improving trajectory and markets and investors were starting to get more comfortable with the prospects for earnings outlook for the asset class. And the US election result just means more uncertainty in terms of that trajectory. We can still look forward to a positive outcome for emerging markets, but clearly it gets a little bit more tricky in terms of understanding exactly what uh, US policies are going to do in terms of driving that trajectory in terms of the pace and the magnitude going forwards. But which which are the kind of key issues here? What what are the things that alarm um, emerging market investors in relation to the elections? Is it things like higher US inflation? Is it a stronger dollar? What what are the key issues there? Well, I think trade is is one of them. So clearly 
markets are, are worried over the impact of more protectionist policies from the US and what that could mean for certain emerging markets. Um, and then the second, the second revolves around the dollar and how it affects emerging markets. And, and historically, we've seen that stronger dollar does make it more difficult for emerging markets to perform. Um, we have been in a situation where for many, many years now, the dollar has been rising. And, and we've been talking about how the dollar is near the end of that rally rather than the beginning. But clearly, this seems to have given it a little bit more legs in terms of the last phase of that, of that dollar move. And, and that is a headwind. Okay, um, and just in terms of the trade issue, obviously Brazil and Mexico have have been among the worst affected since the election. Is trade the biggest issues for those countries and Latin America more widely? I think for Mexico, it's fair to say that trade is a big issue. Um, clearly, it's it's a a key trading partner um, in terms of its relationship with the US, and, and and there's question marks over NAFTA. And again, we come back to this concept of uncertainty. Investors are just really unclear as to how this can play out. I think with Brazil, it's a different story. Brazil is actually less tied in directly to, to trade. It's actually a relatively closed economy. And therefore, it's, this has just been a simple case of profit taking. It's been the strongest market year to date, and, and, and people are uh, realising some of those profits. I mean, do, do you think this fundamentally changes the investment case for Mexico and for Mexican companies? Because I think around is it around eighty percent of exports are to the US from Mexico. I think it remains to be seen. We we really just need to see how and whether uh, trade relationships with the US change or not, and and whether the reality is anywhere close to the rhetoric that we heard during during the election campaign. Um, I think I'd also stress that these kinds of events historically can also provide opportunities. You know, the market can overreact. Um, we can see markets go down, we can see valuations improve, we could see dividend, yield, dividend yields of individual stocks go up, and that might actually give us a buying opportunity for, for markets like this. So, so I think we want to be open-minded in terms of, in terms of the impact. Okay, and uh, just sticking with Brazil and, and Mexico, and in fact Latin America more widely, um, there has been massive political change going on in that region, hasn't there, this year, kind of this shift to the right, which is which has covered countries um, including Argentina as well, Mexico, Brazil um, and others. How are you positioned in in Latin America more generally um, and how has kind of stock selection in places like Brazil affected your performance? Uh, Well, we've spent most of this year overweight Brazil and that's been a very positive um, contributor to performance for, for the Income Trust because that market has been such a strong performer partly driven by that political change which you mentioned, um, but also just the fact that valuations and currencies have, have come back from, from historic low valuation levels. Uh, as of today, we're actually much more neutral in terms of the um, positioning to Brazil. So we have been taking profits in that market as it's been going up year to date. And that's just a, simply a reflection of the performance and a reflection of where we can see attractive dividend yield opportunities. And then the other two markets we do have positions in in Latin America are um, firstly in Chile and secondly in Mexico. Okay. When it comes to politics um, and emerging markets, just how important is politics or are politics when it comes to the fate of emerging market companies? Are there companies across emerging markets which are able to deliver consistent earning growth, you know, despite of or regardless of what's happening politically? Well, I think in the short term, um, markets and individual stocks can certainly be affected by sentiment because of politics. 
Um, longer term, we certainly think there are many companies that can still produce good cash flows and, and good earning streams and, and good dividends to shareholders, despite what's happening um, in political environments across their markets. And, and ultimately, when we think about stock selection for, for the income trust, we don't want to, to be dependent on a particular political outlook as a driver. We want to focus on the fundamentals of those companies and whether we think those fundamentals can be sustainable on a, on a five-year period. And I think there are many of these companies th- throughout emerging markets. Okay, and um, so obviously you are seeking income. What kind of income are you looking for? Um, how wide is your universe and, and how easy is it to find um, income-paying stocks in emerging markets? Well, I think the, the, the good news here is that there's been a development of a very positive dividend culture across emerging markets over the last few years. And that means we can look for an average of around 35% dividend payouts from, from across the asset class. Uh, and that's resulted in today around about 1,200 companies where we can see yields, dividend yields over 2%. So a very broad, uh, a wide pool for me to, to pick stocks from. And, and how many do you end up actually holding? So in the Income Trust today, we have 70 holdings. We have a high and attractive underlying yield of those holdings, close to 5% for for those um, holdings overall. So it's a a really attractive dividend yield that that we're getting out of those markets. And could you kind of characterise those stocks? Does does this mean that you have to kind of hold slightly riskier stocks because you're seeking high yield? Or would you say the opposite is true and your stocks tend to be more defensive in nature? Well, I tend to think of this strategy as um, one that combines both quality and value. So value because I'm always disciplined in terms of looking for those dividend yields. I have to buy, uh, I have to build a portfolio which has a high and attractive dividend yield compared to, compared to the market. But it also has quality characteristics because I'm focusing on those companies where I think the dividends have a level of sustainability and where the return on capital underlying those companies can support that dividend and hopefully grow the dividend in the long term. So from my point of view, the portfolio has a higher return on capital than the the overall market, and I think that's a very supportive feature. Okay, and because financials are the biggest weight, aren't they, in in this portfolio, which some people might look at and think um, sounds higher risk. What kind of financial stocks are you invested in, and are there areas which you would totally avoid um, due to kind of debt, Chinese banks, for example, or something similar? So we have a spread of financials across the portfolio, and that includes banks, insurance companies, and also an area I'm very interested in, which is stock exchanges. And I would highlight those that, that last one as, as a great example of the kind of income opportunity I'm looking for for, for the income trust. Um, stock exchanges across emerging markets tend to be um, very strong franchises. They have good domestic market shares. They tend to earn very high returns on capital without needing um, a huge amount of leverage. And that means that they can produce a high level of free cash flow. And the management teams tend to want to pay that that free cash flow out as uh, attractive dividends to shareholders. So really encompassing all the characteristics I'm looking for from from stocks, wh- whether it's a financial or a non-financial. And that's certainly an area I'm very interested in from the financial perspective for, for the portfolio. Okay. And in terms of your biggest regional exposure, it's to Taiwan, isn't it? Um, now, is that because the payout dividend payout ratios are best there? And is that where they do you think they'll continue to come from? Taiwan's our largest uh, market. Um, it's, it's our largest market waiting in, in the income trust. Um, 
That's essentially because of the number of good income investments I can find in that market. So again, thinking about the issues that I'm really interested in, looking for companies with, with high returns on capital that can generate positive free cash flow and where there are um, good reasons to think that those dividend policies can be sustained, Taiwan's a really great example of, of a place where I can find those. And it's primarily in the technology space, but also in other sectors in, in the markets, be it, be it telecoms or consumer. So what would be an example of, of one of your favourite kind of Taiwanese stocks paying out a solid income, which you think is sustainable? Uh, well, one stock I would highlight is um, something called Vanguard International Semiconductor, um, a technology stock where uh, the company, I think, has, has a decent franchise, so, it, so it's able to continue to generate a high return. Um, and, and the products it's exposed to, again, seem to mean a sustainable level of cash flow being produced over a, over a number of years. And the management team there is extremely positive in terms of wanting to return that, that cash flow to shareholders, which means we can look for a high sustained dividend payout and an attractive dividend yield today. Okay, that sounds interesting. Now, I, I want to zoom out briefly and just kind of look at how the how the trust has performed in the past kind of couple of years, because it's had kind of a bit of a reversal of fortune, hasn't it? If we just look calendar year to calendar year, um, 2015 share price return was down over 20% to compared to a drop of 10% for the um, MSCI emerging markets. This year, you're up by more than 31% in the year to date, so a pretty dramatic rise. So what what been driving that those kind of different performances yeah i think it's fair to say that it's been more volatile than we than we might have expected in the last couple of years and um just looking at it calendar year by calendar year i think currency overshoots played their part so so i talked about how currencies got down to very low levels um towards the end of last year and that certainly affected the income trust as well and to some extent um i, I bought into that so i actually added last year to areas um, of currency weakness and where I saw attractive dividend yield opportunities becoming um, becoming better valued. And that's actually led to improved performance this year and really capturing that bounce and more um, because because of adding to those conviction areas. Which, which areas, for example? So I'd highlight South Africa and Brazil as areas that I added to last year, which have contributed well to performance this year. And I think I'd just also highlight, though, that despite that volatility in terms of share prices themselves, the underlying dividends have actually been remarkably stable. So dividend from the income trust um, has, has been much, much more stable compared to that share price outcome. Okay. And I mean, it highlighted there the, the difference in that performance compared to the index. Does this kind of income focus mean you're invested in quite a different profile of company to the broader index? Does this make your trust kind of distinct against others, would you say? I think it's a very distinctive approach. Um, we've got a very clear philosophy and, and, a, and an idea of, of what kinds of companies we're trying to buy. And that means a 90%, close to 90% active share for the income trust versus the market. So, um, and, and that number essentially means that we only have around about 10% overlap with, with the index today. And what does that mean that you definitely won't have access to? Maybe um, some things I would assume like very fast growth internet companies, you know, are there things which people might think of as exciting emerging markets companies which you just couldn't hold? Well, the, the Income Trust is only going to invest in dividend-paying stocks. So uh, any stocks which, which have extremely low or 0% dividend yields just aren't going to be suitable for the strategy. Um, and I don't have any problem with that. I think 
I'm very clear in terms of what my universe is, and I think we can achieve attractive dividend yields from those stocks, and we can also look forward to um, capturing growth in emerging markets as and when it returns. Okay, so just looking um, to 2017 then, given everything that's happened this year, what, what do you think are going to be the key drivers for the stocks that you hold? I think the two big issues will be, um, firstly, how this earnings growth trajectory for emerging markets can continue. So we've, we've begun to see um, an improvement in the earnings growth picture in emerging markets, and, and, and can that continue into 2017? And then secondly, and something I'm always thinking about, is just the underlying dividend-paying power of the, of the stocks in the portfolio. Do I still think that those returns on capital of, of the 70 companies that we hold is still high and attractive, and does that mean that the dividends will continue to be paid as, as we expect? Okay, well, thank you. I think that's all we've got time for. So I've been Kate Bealey, and this has been a special podcast about emerging markets in 2017. So thank you very much, Omar Nagyal, manager of JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income, and thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.